Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Decades ago, I started growing food in my front and backyard, and I realized that my mission in life is to inspire and empower others to grow their own nutrient-dense, healthy, organic food. Because of this, a lot of people have come to me with their gardening questions over the years, and that got me thinking, what if we put together a community that would help budding gardeners blossom? So I finally made the idea a reality with my Urban Farm U member program. Each month, your membership includes three live online events, a monthly class, a chit-chat with an expert, and a monthly coaching session, plus access to the experts on our member page and a significant discount on our signature courses. I'm deeply committed to transforming our global food system, and I do this by empowering you to grow your own food. The Urban Farm Membership Program is a simple way to get going. Please join me in transforming your food system today. To learn more, go to urbanfarmmembership.org or text membership to 33444. That's urbanfarmmembership.org or text membership to 33444. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food Revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Ryan Leach to talk about his experience with pursuing self-sustenance on one acre. Ryan is a golf course superintendent by profession and a homesteader by passion. His repeated work exposure to chemicals motivated him to research and pursue a healthier lifestyle for he and his family. Ryan and his wife own the Live Simply, Live Richly farm. His wife of four years works from the home, raising their two children and supporting his farming addiction. Together they are pursuing a simpler, more natural, God-centered lifestyle in western central Ohio on their one-acre homestead. Welcome to the show today, Ryan. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for doing what you're doing and being here. Thanks. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Absolutely. Um, 
My wife and I always, as kids growing up, I'm telling stories back and forth, we always kind of had a garden growing up, our families did, and uh, lo and behold, uh, we went to college, and she was getting a degree in agriculture, and I was getting my degree in uh, golf course, as a golf course superintendent, and a lot of the agriculture classes meshed together, and we had met there, and we ended up getting married, and after our children were born, I took a really hard, close look at what we were eating, mm. and I didn't really like it. It is an eye-opener, isn't it? It is, because until you have it's kids, kids is one thing, but I mean, that was kind of the eye-opener for me, that, yeah. that I go get a tomato mm-hmm. and it doesn't taste anything like a tomato and i have no idea where it came from yeah. and it bothered me that my kids were going to be eating that yeah so my wife and i decided that we were going to since we had agriculture degrees and it, we kind of grew up with it we were going to go full bore and and try to do as much as we can ourselves with as little ingredients as possible mm. and not have as many processed foods with ingredients you can't pronounce (laughs) so great that's what we ended up doing we started with a little garden in the back and it did pretty good and we talked and we said we need to do more so then we added two more beds and we are now producing enough produce that we don't have to generally get any at the store we we put we either freeze it or can it or put it up ourselves mm-hmm. and uh we also make our own soaps we make uh toothpaste we make i mean anything and everything that might cross your mind we've tried it and if we haven't tried it we're thinking about trying it <laughs> cool yeah and we'd also do pasture raised meat birds mm-hmm. and we are going to be diving into pigs uh, this coming spring, and hopefully getting a couple of hives for bees this coming spring as well. And if it's something that we can't produce or make ourselves, we try to get it as local as possible, as close to us as possible, and try to support all the other farmers around us yeah. that that try to do what we do it with different um, avenues. Why is that but important? It's important to us because there's not very many little farmers left and if you and by conventional terms it's not even considered farming in a way because in our area farming is a couple hundred acres or a thousand acres with a combine and you're growing corner beans right and when we go to farmers markets it's everybody goes there and they enjoy absolutely everything that the farmers bring Mm -hmm. and they consider them farmers they consider all of us farmers and we need to support the little guys because we're trying hopefully here soon trying to make a living off of what we do right if i can if we can produce more and that's a lot of what these little guys are doing they have they have full-time careers but on the side they also do this because this is their passion yeah and it's important to support the local passion (laughs) I love the way you said that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
I was just going to say that, that that's what um, we're looking to do. Just here, I, I this has been our best year yet for um, the crops that we've had, uh-huh. that we have put in. Uh, just did a tally yesterday. On Tuesday, I pulled, my wife and I pulled about 105 pounds of tomatoes off, off our tomato bed. Oh, my gosh. And that puts a total up to almost 300 pounds for the season. Wow. And we, I, I, we're getting that off of 130 plants, and we just can, can, can. It's very monotonous. Uh, it is. But, but come December, when there's snow outside, and we can open a jar of that <laughs> tomato sauce that just doesn't taste like anything else. It's so satisfying. Extraordinary. Yeah. How many tomato plants? About 130. 130 tomato plants, and you're, you're up to. What did you say? Three hundred pounds of tomatoes. Yep, yep, pushing three hundred pounds. Yep, wow. and we're only about halfway two through thirds the season. Back, halfway to two, yep, yep. Now, are you using? So you can a lot of those. Do you use them all yourself, or do you sell some as well? We don't. I could sell some. We give a lot to family, uh-huh. and we, um, if we have a lot, we donate uh, to food banks yeah. or anything like that. We would like to to start trying to sell it. Um, we just don't have uh, the setup yet or yeah. the plan to do so yet. Yeah, the infrastructure. It's, you know, that's a next step that takes some planning. So good for you on that. Thanks. Absolutely. So I want to touch on a topic that might be a little touchy for our listeners. Uh, and you mentioned meat birds. Uh, uh-huh. And I have actually, so I'm going to, come out of the closet on this although my friends know this i actually have raised some meat birds here at the urban farm I'm, oh nice i'm not an ed, I'm, I'm not a vegetarian so i uh-huh. i still eat poultry and so about five or six years ago i decided to figure out what it took to raise meat chickens in the backyard and so i would do them like a dozen at a time and they'd run free range in the backyard um mm-hmm. tell it tell us about that and why why you're doing it we do chickens because, again, we know where they come from. Yep. We don't give them any medication or antibiotics, and frankly, they don't need any being out on pasture. They get right. such a variety of diet, their immune system is extremely Stellar. resilient. Yeah. And we order, we, we usually do spring and fall. We're going to skip this fall as busy as we are with the garden, but in the spring, we get 25 to 30 birds and we raise them in a brooder mm-hmm. and then we our goal is by 21 days to go out to the pasture uh-huh. and it's a little eight by eight and i put them in a in a pasture in a in a little pen mm-hmm. and i kind of pull them around every day and make sure they got fresh water and they kind of get a fresh area to eat on every day yeah and it takes a little bit longer than, well, actually, it takes a couple weeks longer than if I were to feed conventional grain. Right. Um, but being that they eat pasture, uh, it takes about 10 weeks or so to get up to the weight that we want. And um, we do the processing ourselves, and um, we have people that come up to the farm, and if they would like some they've known us for several years now if they would like some they can get some from us Uh and if nobody wants any they're for our consumption 
and we get several meals out of one bird. Oh, I'm sure. And that was another reason that we wanted to do it is because when you go to the store or the grocery, whatever, you get, you know, a couple of chickens. Yeah. They're pumped full of water, and then if you cook them whole, you know, all the water comes out, and they shrink in size. and mm-hmm. And they're, they're, it's just something about, again, about raising something yourself and having the satisfaction of knowing you gave that animal the best possible life that you could give it while still towing the line of this is an animal and I respect this animal, but I'm also going to consume this animal. Yeah. So it's a fine line that you tow, you respect it, but you also have to know that its life is going to end, and it's right. going to end at your hands, so you want to do it as humanely as possible. Yeah, and here about five years ago when I did my first, I had a friend of mine come by and show me how to do it. Um, it was quite an impactful moment where I actually had to take the life of something. Um, yeah. And it gave me, and for me, the whole process gave me a great respect for the birds, for the process, and for people that do it. Yep, yep. It's it is. It's kind of a shock at first. Yeah. Um, we kind of a soft spot. We would, you know, we uh, before we would uh, dispatch the chicken. You know, we grab the chicken and you know we say thanks and and you know go do what needs to be done. But yeah. we're we're very very cognizant of what happens and and yeah. with the do it with the utmost respect. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you for that. Uh-huh. But, you know, we really need to bring that back into the space of growing. I agree. Our, and, and really, that's growing all of our food that way, don't you uh-huh. think? I agree. I agree. And the, the more people that, the people just need to start. If you just start with something small that you can eat. I've, I've seen a lot of gardeners that have gone out, or a lot of people that have gone out and planted one or two tomatoes and then came back screaming, saying, I got my first tomato, and then tasted it as fresh, just, just yeah. picked, minutes after it's picked, and they're blown away. Yeah. And I said, well, now you got the bug. <laughs> yeah. They call, it's already started. In, in, the gardening, uh, in gardening education, they call tomatoes the gateway drug of oh, gardening. Oh, absolutely. You I know. agree. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, because you're, you're one of our featured farmers, and thank you so much, first of all, for being a farmer, and secondly, for, for jumping in and saying, I want to be a featured farmer. So what does your farm dream consist of? My dream actually consists, it's a, it's a fairly big dream, but I'll shorten it down. We no, wanted, we bring would like it. About, we would like about 10 acres, uh-huh. and I'm sorry, 100 acres, no, uh-huh. that's quite the jump 100 acres Uh and we want to have enough animals enough ground enough i mean enough everything to where we can live 100 percent off of what we Mm. make and what we produce yeah and that's a very hefty goal yeah but it can be done and some friends of ours that actually got us kind of involved in doing this they live off of their farm completely and wow yeah they are they're on 21 acres and they they do a lot of things kind of in an old way they use draft horse horses for plows uh-huh. and they still have tractors and things but they 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 live off of the what they make and they they do amazing they're wow. and, and i've learned from them and they kind of gave us the bug and we we're, we're good friends, and, 
and that's that's kind of the long and short of what I would like to do. Yeah. You know, have enough, have some dairy cows and 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 all of that. Yeah. Wow, how cool is that? Yeah. And and what's even more cool is that you have them there to mentor you. Yes. Yeah, and it's great. It's I could always call him up if I have a question, and he's he's very quick to get back with me. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, I, I cannot begin to say enough about the value of what you just said about having a mentor with this. I, I mentor young, young farmers and even people that aren't farming. And so for all our listeners out there, please either be a mentee where you're learning or share it with somebody. That is so incredibly important. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So I got an interesting question for you. Uh-huh. You, you have a, uh, a young family how do you manage all of this with a family and an acre and uh, tell me about that it's a at first it was a jungle i mean it was a it was a jumbled mess but uh-huh. i my day usually starts i get up at four o'clock in the morning uh-huh. and welcome to being um, a farmer by the way yeah yeah well that's that's for my career i go into work for uh-huh. the golf course at 5 a.m wow okay and Yep, and we start at 5, and I leave around 1, and I get home around 2 o'clock, and uh-huh. my wife is here with the kids, and, and she she does what she can. Sometimes she cans when I'm gone. Uh, sometimes she can get away when the kids are taking a nap and pick. Mm-hmm. We've really we've really got together to where we have a really good team mentality, and nice. we communicate very well on what we need to do a couple of days ahead of time. Uh-huh what she needs to do what i need to do and we've kind of just it kind of naturally just fell together i can come come in and and she would say do you need to go pick squash you know yeah i do and then we you know together we might go out or the kids might go out and play and we do it and it's yeah. worked out really good and i there i've heard people say that they're afraid to jump in because they have kids or oh my gosh. they think they don't have time. And some in some cases you might not. If if kids are in sports, I could see where it could be oh, difficult. Yeah. But but having young kids at the moment, it's you can make you can you can find time to do it. There, I mean, there is times I mean, we don't watch a lot of TV, we don't yep. watch a, a lot of news, we don't we barely listen to the radio a little bit, but I have time to listen to podcasts when I'm out there, like you guys. And, Thank you. And um, you just got to make sure that where you're, you know, you if if it's your passion, you're going to do what you're passionate about. Yeah. So, how old are your kids? I have a seven-month-old and almost a three-month-old uh, or a three-year-old. Three-year-old. Okay, good. So they're not they're not farmers yet. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. But. They'll be farmhands eventually. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So in our in our Growing Food the Basics class that we give at Urban Farm U, it's a seven-week online class. And week seven is all about putting a plan in place so that when you get 300 pounds of tomatoes, you know what to do with them. Right. And it sounds like you've done a lot of farm planning to make sure that you have the systems in place so that when you do get 300 pounds of tomatoes you can do something with them. Tell us about that. There's a lot of planning, and that planning occurs for us in our climate in the winter. I uh, I do have a greenhouse that I built with uh, geothermal tubing that I, I can grow lettuce and spinach in all year, and nice. we do. 
and we eat on that all winter long. Uh-huh. But during that time, I'm reading. I am thinking about what rotation is next, is, is going to be next, what I'm going to put in, how much I'm going to put in, how much we're expecting. I actually go further and think how much are we going to need next year and kind of backtrack from there and, and look at my records and say, okay, this this plot produced this much. Do I need to plant more? Do I need to plant less? And there's a lot of there's a lot of planning involved. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, if you're doing something like what we're doing to where you're trying to feed your whole family on produce, it can get stressful if you mismanage what you need to do. So you need to, we, we, I look, I look and I double check, I triple check, yeah. and then then I go out in the greenhouse and I start what we're going to start, and then we just go from there. You go with the flow after that. Yeah. So here in Arizona, we're the, in the desert southwest, and we grow food all year round. It's not the case in Ohio, is it? No. No, we, we grow food basically... You can go out, and our frost date is from the middle of May to the middle of October. So you can get out there with root crops around the middle of April, uh-huh. and you can stretch out cold crops until maybe the 1st of November. And basically after that, you're not doing a whole lot. So what do you do if you're not managing managing a golf course in the winter and not farming in the winter? You're planning then? Well... We still, I still have to manage the golf course in the winter. Uh-huh. Um, there's still planning to be done and big projects to be done. But I have a lot more time to at home to read about farming and read about different planning techniques, different management technique. There's uh, all. I mean, I read books on biodynamics, permaculture, um, all kinds of different things, and uh, it's. I just try to be a sponge and yeah. just absorb as much as I can. You know, I I had one of our other guests recently say, you know, as gardeners, we're lifelong learners, and I I know I that's the case for me, and it sounds like it's the case for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yay! So you mentioned your geothermal greenhouse, and and that kind of goes along with the question of how you can grow food all year round. Tell us about your geothermal greenhouse, what that means. And uh, you said you grow a couple of things in there. What else do you grow in there? I grow lettuce, like I said, lettuce and spinach. I Last year was kind of my first year in trying it out, and mm-hmm. I was kind of a trial and error thing. This year I am going to try to do some, maybe some carrots and some baby root vegetables. Oh, and, nice. Um, see how that turns out. Um, and basically a geothermal greenhouse i started out with just a regular greenhouse it's just a small greenhouse um i think it's 12 by 14 Uh and i can start all of our seeds oh of course you get them in there in february and march right and that will i mean that that little greenhouse can supply all the needs for my eight thousand square feet of ground so but i i wanted i was disappointed that it doesn't it only got used in february march uh april and i thought this is really a waste of real estate here yeah (laughs) i love the way you think so i talked to my wife and i thought i i want to try geothermal i i have solar mass 
um, heaters in there, just some 50-gallon, 55-gallon barrels painted black. Uh-huh. And then when the sun comes up, they warm them up. They help radiate a little bit of heat. Yep. But um, I decided that I was going to just take some black drain tile, solid drain tile, and dig a four-foot hole. Our frost line is three feet, so I need to dig below the frost line. Right. Um, and I dug four foot down and coiled up a hundred foot of this drain tile and had each end. I had one end at the top of the greenhouse and the other end at the bottom. So, and then I had a fan on the bottom opening and it would suck all the cold air in from the bottom, go through the tubes in the ground, which is grounds relatively 55 degrees. Right. And it would warm it up above freezing and it would shoot the air back up the top and it kind of, I had a little fan in there for some circulation. Right. And it did really, really good. Wow. And I think it hovered around, we had some, it was a mild winter last year, so I can't really say that that was a good, good uh, experiment, but uh-huh. we hovered around inside the greenhouse around 40 to 45 degrees, which is really good when around here the temperatures can get uh, zero with, wind chills below zero so wow um and we were at that temperature you can actually oh great and at that temperature you can actually grow greens greens yeah Yeah. you can grow greens like i said i don't know about baby root veg or anything like that that'll be an experiment you're gonna try yep yep we cut kale we cut spinach we cut lettuce and we had fresh salads all winter long wow nice so for our listeners that don't know what geothermal is just give them a, a brief description you told us how it worked um but give it get, tell us what it is geothermal basically means ground warming mm. is basically the breakdown of the word and it you can heat or cool um water or air mm-hmm. through the ground depending on how you want to approach it uh-huh. there are houses out here in ohio that that will run water heaters through geothermal there'll be water pipes out through the ground and the cold water will go in and warm it up and then go through the little warmer and uh-huh. you have hot water and the reverse is also opposite you can cool the house down with a furnace in the summer by running hot air through the ground and it cools it down to 55 degrees oh. and by the time it comes out to your house it's 60 and you know, it's, nice, it cools nice. it down like an air conditioner. Yeah. Wow, how cool is that? Yep, it's it's really neat. Yeah. So, how do you manage weeds? You got you said eight thousand square feet. How are you managing the weeds? Because I have a major weed problem right now here at the urban farm. I did it the way my buddy taught me to do it, and I have a. I don't know if our list, the listeners have heard of um, wheel hose or rotary hose Mm, they are very old mine is an antique Um, but basically all it is is you have a couple of handles you hold on to you have a wheel in the front and you have a cultivator on the back Mm. and you just go in between the rows and i used to hoe the weeds by hand Uh and then talk to my buddy and he says you need to get a wheel hoe he says you will cut your time by tenfold and wow he was not kidding as long as you can get in there when the weeds are still very young and just run right through with the cultivator you have no problems i have very little weeds in the garden and this is the best year that the first and the best year that i've 
uh, had on weed control wow. by using that. A wheel hoe. Yep. I wonder, do they make those anymore? Yes, uh, there is a company that makes them. Um, uh -oh. I don't know if I can say the company or not. But, no, please, bring it. Uh, it's um, Hoss, H-O-S-S. -S. Cool. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, share all these resources. I, my, my whole goal here is to get as many of these resources out to everybody. So Okay. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh -huh. All right, so I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to time, talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. There's... There's always a few failures that happen, but <laughs> it's like I said, it's all, like you said, it's always a learning process. Yeah. But a big one was when we decided to expand our garden and my front bed, I have three beds in my front big bed, we decided we are gonna, we're going to break ground on that and we're going to make a garden. Well, we broke ground and, you know, we lightly got it tilled under and there was, there was grass on it i mean we didn't go through mm. with a sod cutter and pull it off we tilled everything under because we thought you know green manure oh my gosh uh, going right in that'd be great yeah so we did it and about a week later you know we went over one more time just real lightly to make sure there wasn't any clods or anything like that and we planted and nothing came up not oh. a thing we had several different plants in there um, the the temperatures were right, everything was right, and um, nothing came up. And we got to thinking, well, what what did we do wrong? Yeah. Well, after talking to a friend of mine, he said, you had, not only did you have, you know, grass in there, but there was some small weeds, which, you know, that that to be expected right and he says when you till things under like that not only is there green manure but as those things decay some of those give off toxins and inhibit other seeds from oh, germinating interesting as a defense mechanism yeah so we realized and and another thing was that we didn't we didn't amend the soil the way we should have done it yeah. we were in a rush so what do you consider your biggest success I I think it's the geothermal, the mm -hmm. geothermal greenhouse. I think being able to grow food from November to April is making the best possible use out of that that we can. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty epic. That's six months in the winter time where you're actually growing food. Fresh fresh produce. We don't even have to look at lettuce in the grocery store at all. Yeah. Just keep walking by you know you mix lettuce kale and spinach together and you have a flavorful salad oh yeah wonderful wonderful salad well then then you uh because you said that works through what through april about about that and then may rolls around and it gets it gets too hot uh -huh. um and the geothermal just can't keep up cooling it down right uh, it's it, the swings are way too big so you get you get basically april um or may you get a month or two on either side of the season uh -huh. where you can't get um some some produce but other than that you're looking at 10 months of produce wow. uh, of greens all uh, for the year yeah that's amazing so i and i just remembered i had another question that i wanted to ask you um and it so you have a three-year-old Yes, and a seven-month-old. And a seven-month-old. Um, are you making baby food? Yes. 
How we do. do you, how do you do that? Well, our seven-month-old had just started eating, and we take anything that we know that she can eat. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, there are fruits that babies can't eat yeah. right off the bat, but we're taking food and we puree it, very, very fine puree, uh-huh. and we put it in ice cubes, to ice cube trays, and oh, we freeze it. Wow. And whenever she needs to eat or she's a little more hungry, she we take one of those out and um, put it in a in a little net and warm it up and then put it in a bowl for her and and just feed it to her. We we've done uh, there's I remember with my first one we did squash and uh-huh. um, we did beans, we did potatoes, we did all kinds. There's all kinds of uh, food that can be made for babies from the homestead. Yeah. Wow, so that's one of your preserving techniques. Yep, that's one of them. So you can, I'll bet you dehydrate? We dehydrate, we ferment, we we do quite a bit. Nice. Tell us a little bit about fermenting. Well, we do um, sauerkraut, mm-hmm. and I, I have actually one in, the, one in the jar right now. We just, we, we really enjoy sauerkraut, and... You know, that's one of those things where you're walking in the store and you knew how sauerkraut was made and you knew what it was, but you didn't know how it was made. Yep. So our curiosity got the best of us, and I told my wife, I said, I bet we can make this. And she, you know, with my farming addiction, she kind of had her eye rolling. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll try it. So we did, and it came out amazing, and we just chop it up real fine and put, I think, a tablespoon of salt or a couple teaspoons of salt and just mush it together real Mm -hmm. good and Uh let the salt kind of be an abrasive and and at the same time pull the water out of the cabbage and and we stick it in a jar and make sure all the cabbage is under the water you don't have to add any water because there's enough water in the cabbage that the water will cover the cover everything in the jar and you would just push the make sure there's a little weight to push all the cabbage under the water you don't want cabbage above the water it gets moldy and you can get sick, but right. you want it under under the water. So about a month later, we pull it out and give it a rinse. And if, if we need a little bit of vinegar to make it a little acidic, then we, we add that. And it's a great couple of meals. Nice. So and there's, there's nothing that you put in the cabbage except cabbage. Yep, cabbage and salt. Maybe <laughs> oh, nice. a little vinegar if you need it. Nice, nice, nice. So one of the things that is readily apparent in our conversation is how passionate you are about all of this stuff. So I need to know what drives you. What's your big why on this? I have two. And the first one is my kids. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. That was that yep. was the first one. Yep. I wanted to be able to give them chemical-free, no additives, most nutritious possible food that I could do, mm-hmm. give them. And I knew that that was growing up myself. Being in the business that I'm in, that I and I love the business. I love. I mean, I've got an agriculture degree. You love growing stuff. You love growing stuff. Oh yeah. But whether it's grass or plants or whatever, mm-hmm. but I hated. I I cannot stand adding spraying chemicals. I I just ha- I detest it. And I know that the majority of the population doesn't even cross their mind yep. about what is added to fruits and vegetables and and I didn't want any part of it. I didn't want to do any of that at home. So yeah. that was a big one. And then the crop value. 
was is the next one. Our average price here in the area is about two dollars and fifty cents a pound for tomatoes. I just like I said for the year wow. we pick about three hundred pounds of tomatoes. You're I mean you're you're knocking on the door of seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of tomatoes. Yeah. And that's just one crop. Right. That's not that's not the rest of the ground. So you're literally safe. Yeah, you're putting in the work, yep. and and your time is worth money. But you're still way ahead. Yeah. You're still way ahead to do it yourself, because you're saving literally thousands of dollars yeah. by doing it yourself. Even if you added in your labor rate, you're still saving a ton of money. Yeah. And you can't get any better. You can't get any fresher. You can't get any more nutrition. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. There's nothing better than a fresh, you name it, that I just pulled out of the yard. Yep. And we do that here at the urban farm. We do that every day, practically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That would be that. That is one, one thing I envy about Southern America is you guys basically yep. have a growing season all all, all year, year round. round. Interestingly enough, the hardest time to grow here in Phoenix is July, August, and September. I, I that's what I would have guessed. I mean, you're so stinking hot. That would be yeah. your break. Right. And Ex- our break is the opposite. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm all about education. I have to know: is there a book that has been influential for you in this process? There is. And I don't know if many people have heard it, but it's a book by Edmund Morris written in 1864 called Ten Acres Enough. And this man, the long and short of it was this man basically went from the city and decided, I want to live off my ground. I want to live off of ten acres. Can I live off of ten acres? Can I make a living off of ten acres? And he did it, and it's his story from start to finish on how he did it and why he did it and what he earned out of it. And yes, it was written in mid to late 1800s, but it's all applicable today. And I just did a search real quick. It's still available. It is. It is. It is available. And matter of fact, you can even find it on um, maybe Google Books or something like that. And usually it would be free. You can find free editions because it was written before copyright laws were enacted. Yep. So yep. here it, it is right it's here. It's out there. Yep. Forgotten on forgottenbooks.com. It's the yep. PDF. Wow. How, I, okay. That's a book I'm going to go read. That is, that is cool. It's a book. It's a book that I couldn't put down. I, wow. I read, I read a few books here, quite a few books here and there. And it was, it's hard to put down. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I think my piece of advice would be never stop learning. (laughs) Never stop reading. Never stop educating yourself, others. We, the law, I can't, I can't much describe it other than if I think I know everything there is to know. I'm not going to grow any more than all, what I've already grown. Yeah. If if I continue to learn and I continue to try different methods and build soils and after time I can help other people doing the same thing that want to start out and and then they can call me or they can get a hold of me and and come up with you know problems that they've never seen ever heard of right and you have veteran gardeners out there that could be like oh this is this is how you do it mm-hmm. and if you don't know 
go out and look, and you'll yeah. learn something yeah. too. Yeah. One of my teachers, T. Harv Ecker, uh, he's a modern-day um, philosopher on money, um, says that the, f- the four most dangerous words in the English language is, is I already know that. Once you I, once you say that, once you go there, sh- things shut down. Yep. So yep. and there, you'll never you'll never learn you'll never learn everything. There is things yeah. that will go on under the ground that you will never see, but it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Oh man, I hear you. Well, I have to say, I this is our I don't know 130th show or something. This has been an incredible conversation, and I have to tell you. Uh, as as we were talking, I, this kept coming up for me. I am so incredibly proud of what you're doing out there. I absolutely love it, and I really, really want to thank you. Um, I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and we 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 need more people to do this. Yes, we, it's it's a growing trend, and and the more we can educate, the the more and better off we'll be as families and as a yeah. society whole. As oh a whole. yeah, I I believe that the single most important thing that we can be doing right now is learning how to grow our own food. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Ryan. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, so you are our uh, featured farmer, so we'll have that article up here uh, along with the podcast. But how can our listeners get a hold of you? We had just started here recently a group farm page on facebook nice um you can look it up it's live simply live richly farm Uh and you can pull it up and you can join and we 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 show what we do here on the farm we want people to ask questions um if there's something that we don't know we'll find we'll find an answer and we'll try to we'll try to get it out there we just want to we want a site that we can have people come to to where they can ask whatever they want and they can see what other people are doing and be inspired to do it themselves. Perfect. 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 Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the urban farm podcast. Decades ago, I started growing food in my front and backyard. And I realized that my mission in life is to inspire and empower others to grow their own nutrient dense, healthy, organic food. Because of this, a lot of people have come to me with their gardening questions over the years. And that got me thinking, what if we put together a community that would help budding gardeners blossom? So I finally made the idea a reality with my Urban Farm U member program. Each month, your membership includes three live online events, a monthly class, a chit chat with an expert, and a monthly coaching session plus access to the experts on our member page and a significant discount on our signature courses. I'm deeply committed to transforming our global food system, and I do this by empowering you to grow your own food. The Urban Farm Membership Program is a simple way to get going. Please join me in transforming your food system today. To learn more, go to urbanfarmmembership.org or text MEMBERSHIP to 33444. That's urbanfarmmembership.org or text membership to 33444. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org 
or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.